Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for starting something, for getting something started in this world, for getting something started in our lives and in this church. And at the outset, Lord, we just want to say, if anything good happens here today, it'll be because of you, because of your great grace and your power and your love and your mercy to us, Lord. We are trophies of your grace. And we are grateful, Lord, for every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven. And Lord, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the giver of life. So it's right and good for us to praise you. And it's right for us to look into the future with confidence, knowing that you who started something are a great finisher. And you will not stop working, Lord, until you complete your work in us. And for this and all good gifts, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good. All the time. It's so good to worship with you today. Good to sing beautiful songs. Great, great music. Thank you, choir. Thank you to our orchestra as well. It's a great great day. You know, I have a great appreciation for music. I'm not, I'm not a musician, um, but I have a great appreciation for it. In the same way, I'm not an artist. Those of you who've received notes from me will attest uh, that my handwriting can be almost illegible. Imagine my pain growing up next to a brother who was creating masterpieces out of oil paintings when he was about nine years old. You know, and it was just amazing to sort of come to our parents with our work. And my brother would bring this canvas, you know, with this painting of the Matterhorn And I would bring my stick figures. And imagine the difficulty for my parents saying, marvelous, this is wonderful work, Dwayne. Very very nice, very nice. And, you know, I'm over that mostly. And, uh, you know, meeting with Roger Duck once a week really, really kind of helps me with that. And uh, I'm just, uh, I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I have an appreciation for art because I never was an artist. I mean, I love colors. I love, I love artwork. And some years ago, when our choir was going to sing in Spain and Portugal, Melanie and I went over a little bit early, three or four days early, and in one week we saw the Louvre, and we also saw the Prado in Madrid. In one week, with two of the greatest museums, and then a, a couple of Christmases ago we went to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. So I've seen lots of great artwork, and I'm not an artist, but I'm an appreciator of art, and I I love great art, and I bet you are as well. And it seems to me that if you look at art long enough, you can sort of see, oh, I know who did that. For instance, if I show you the Mona Lisa, um, you recognize that, and you say, well, Da Vinci uh, painted that. If I show you uh, water lilies and a bridge over that, this is Casey's favorite um, Monet. I mean, we recognize that. If um, I show you um, this, you say, Picasso, right? You know, see, I did it like a little porcelain bear when I was in the sixth grade, and it looks a lot like that. But nobody said, (laughs) brilliant. That was brilliant. Nobody ever thought that about anything that I did. Or if I show you Starry, Starry Night, you think of. Now, let me ask you this. What is the greatest masterpiece of all? What is it that you look at in our world and go, God, God made that, God did that. Maybe for you, it's like me, when I see the waterfalls in Glacier National Park, I I think, God, I just, 
see his fingerprints all over that. The beautiful mountains, I, I love, I'm more of a mountain person than a beach person. You may, may be more of a beach person, but if you look at the ocean, you know, uh, if you look at the beautiful blue water and islands and things, you think, this is beautiful. God created this. Evie Hill preached a sermon years ago, the inimitable Evie Hill, and he asked this question at the beginning of the sermon, when was God at his best? What is God's greatest work, his great masterpiece? What's the best thing that God ever did? I want to show you in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, a work of grace, a work of grace. And let's stand together as we read God's word this morning. You recognize these verses. I'm guessing, I may be wrong, that some of you have memorized verses 8 and 9 I did that as a young man. I wish I had memorized verse 10. It would have clarified a lot of things for me theologically if I had learned verse 10 when I learned verses 8 and 9. Let me show you what I mean. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you. You may be seated. So how does it feel to be a trophy of God's grace? As we said last weekend, to be exhibit A For God to show throughout all of eternity when people look at us, God's redeemed people, when finally we're gathered together with Him in heaven, for people to look at us and go, God did that. God is the artist. God is the designer. He uses a word here. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. F.F. Bruce says we are God's work of art and we were created not just created and born into this world but we were created anew in Christ Jesus for the purpose of doing good works we understand grace this whole book is about grace he begins by blessing them with grace and peace he he says to them we live our lives to the praise of His glorious grace. Remember, we saw three times to the praise of His glorious grace, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is by His grace that He has raised us to life so that by God's unmerited favor, we have been brought from death to life. We understand something about grace. But here He says, you have been saved by grace. And then He uses this word, works. Ergon in the Greek not by works. He says, you believed, but you can't brag because even your faith came from God, not by works. So if you're just reading this for the very first time, and it's hard for us to do this because we've seen it a lot of times, we would say, okay, works are a bad thing. Not by works, so no one can boast. Okay, I won't do any work. Work is wrong. Work is bad. Work is not good. And then he says, we are God's workmanship created for what? For good works in Christ Jesus. It's a bit schizophrenic for us. It's hard to sort of comprehend what he's saying here. But let me just show you that what he's saying to us is our motivation is everything. 
As long as you and I are trying to earn God's favor by doing good things, and we think if I do enough good things, if I volunteer enough hours, if I help enough people, if I give enough money, then God will finally be pleased with me. We're misunderstanding verses 8 and 9 if we live our lives that way. But perhaps a greater crowd of us today would be caught up in verse 10 where we think, I was saved by grace and what I do after I become a Christian doesn't really matter because it's all God and I'm just here just biding my time until he calls me home and there is not one thing in this world for me to do because after all, Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all. I don't have to do anything. I have friends when I was growing up who were of different denominations who said to me, if I believed what you believe, verses 8 and 9, they were referring to, I'd just do whatever I wanted to do. I could just go out and do anything because after all, I've already been forgiven, so it doesn't matter what I do after that. And that's why we need not only verse 8 and verse 9, but we also need verse 10 because it corrects these two problems. Those who are trying to earn their salvation and those who feel that they're so saved, they're not doing one thing in this world. This passage of Scripture corrects all of that for us and shows us this. We cannot live for God's glory and our own glory at the same time. We were created. We were created in Christ Jesus to bring glory to God, not to bring glory to ourselves. So let me show you how grace works. Here's the first way that grace works. You and I are masterpieces of God's grace, of His unmerited favor. When He says, you have been saved by grace, He's talking about you and me. It's not as though we contributed to our salvation. I think about William Temple who said the only thing that you and I contributed to our salvation was the sin from which we needed to be forgiven. Now that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But it's true, theologically. That's all we had to bring to the table. It wasn't like God said, you know, somebody like her, somebody like him, wow, boy, you know, I'll just let them in on, on works. It just doesn't work that way. It works by grace. And what that means is you and I do not spend our lives working to gain something for ourselves. You can see this in our art, in our, in our media, in our world. For instance, in the, the first Rocky movie, there have been like 12 or 15, haven't there? But in the, the first one, how much money did Sylvester Stallone make through those? But in the very first one, he looks at, at Adrian, and he speaks for a lot of us when he says, I have 10 rounds to prove that I'm not a bum. See, I think that's why some of us go to work every day. Because there's a voice in the back of our heads somewhere that says, you will never amount to anything. You're never going to succeed. You're never going to accomplish anything. And so we work. Is that why you work 65 hours a week? Because there's a voice in the back of your head saying, no matter how much you do, it will, it will never be enough. You are never going to be any good. And so we work very hard. I think about that character Harold Abrams in the movie Chariots of Fire. After he loses the first time to Eric Little and he's sort of having a, a temper tantrum up in the stands with his girlfriend or concubine. I'm not sure exactly what she was at that point in the movie. And he's talking to her and he says to her, you know, you know, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence in this world. Uh, more recently, we might think of, of uh, Madonna. I don't think about her a lot, but may maybe you do. I don't know. She was... She was sort of Lady Gaga before there was Lady Gaga, and I don't even know who Lady Gaga is, so I don't know why I'm talking about her, but Madonna in Vogue magazine, I was reading the other day, just kidding, I don't read Vogue magazine, but anyway, <laughs> it was on the internet, so it must be true, and in this Vogue magazine, Madonna says, I keep doing music and I keep producing art because every time I do, 
something good, for just a moment, I believe that I'm not mediocre, that I'm not boring, that I'm not unimportant. But she said, before long, it fades, and I have to do something else. There are lots of people in this world who who are sort of trying to earn the love of God that comes to us not by works, he says, but by grace. So we sort of try to do it on our own. We're, we're rather like that story of the frog that falls into the pail of milk. Frogs are a sore subject for me this morning. But anyway, this frog falls in this pail of milk and begins to sort of paddle around. And he can't get out. He can't get out. He's going to drown in that milk. This is not a horn frog. This is a frog. And the frog is sort of paddling around in the milk. And then eventually he churns that milk till it becomes butter. And it's so firm he just jumps out. And somebody has said, this is a picture of American folk religion. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. God helps those who help themselves. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. That is not in the Bible. You know what the Bible says? God helps those who are going to drown in the milk. God helps those who could never have helped themselves. That's the message of the gospel, that you and I really can be helped. But we were helped when we were helpless. For by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you say, well, yeah, but, but it says by faith. Faith is what I contribute to that. I was thinking about a lifeguard who, who told uh, his story. His name is Ricky Jones. And he was telling about how um, four times he saved lives as a lifeguard. And he said it was never during one of those all swims for the kids. It was always at a party where they reserved the pool privately. And some parent was teaching an infant or a small child how to swim. And they would start out in the baby end. And then they would stand this child, this terrified child. I hope you never did this. Up on the edge of the pool in the deep water and say, jump to me. I'm going to teach you to swim. And the child would jump in. He said four times and land right on the parent's face. The parent gets a gulp of water, starts to go down. The child doesn't know what the child's doing. And there he is. And he said, you know, I didn't throw the raft. I didn't do I just jump in the water. And I would say first to the child, take my arm. And the child would take my arm. I get the child safely. And then I rescue the parent. And he said, everybody was safe in the end. But it always happened that way. He said, now imagine if that child said, I saved my own life today. Well, how did you do it? You might ask. Say, I grabbed his arm. Yeah, well, that wasn't working for you when, you're, when your parent was sinking and you were grabbing them. So it must not have been you. What was it that saved you? It was the ability of the lifeguard to swim. And if you say, yeah, I was saved by my own faith, I would say to you, really? Because um, just our ability to trust, he says, that's even a gift from God. From first to last, salvation is God's work. And what he says is God makes you into this masterpiece of his grace. I read about Henry Morehouse, the, the social worker in England, back in a difficult period of time economically there. And there was a little girl carrying a pitcher of milk, and she dropped the pitcher, and it broke. And she was taking milk back home. This was before, apparently, milk cartons and milk jugs and all of that. And she's taking this pitcher that her mother gave her, and she's gotten the milk, and it crashes. And she just begins to cry and says, my mother's going to spank me. My mother is going to spank me. And Henry Morehouse, the social worker, reaches out and goes, no, I think we can put it back together. And he's trying to put these pieces of glass back together again. And, and uh, she bumps into it, and it breaks again. And she starts crying again. My mother's going to spank me. He goes, no, your mother's not going to spank you. And he takes her to a store. And he buys her a new pitcher. And then they go over where they buy milk. And they fill it up with milk. And then they go home. And he says to the little girl as he delivers her and the milk safely to the house. Now is your mother going to spank you? 
She says, no, this is a better picture than we ever had. (laughs) We never had a picture this good before. This is better than anything we've ever had. That's the way grace is. At the end of the day, you and I are trophies of God's grace. We are His great masterpiece, the greatest work of God. Look, when He created, when he created Mount Everest, He said good. When He created the Pacific Ocean, He said good. When He created the eagle to soar in the sky, He said good. But when He created Adam and Eve, what did He say? Very good. And then something is lost in the fall. And then He says, we are created in Christ Jesus as God's masterpiece as his work of art God has done a work in us so amazing so wonderful that you and I are trophies of grace and so we didn't earn God's favor we didn't make ourselves we are not self-made people by the way that doesn't sound very good to me self-made people but we are people created in the image of God and then recreated in the image of Jesus Christ by the grace of God we are a work of grace but let me show you how grace works What this means is that you and I didn't earn God's favor, but it doesn't mean that you and I don't ever do anything. We uh, we are not saved by the fruits of our lives, but neither are we saved by fruitless faith. In fact, uh, James would go ahead and help us sort of complete this picture. The book of James says, faith without works is dead. Our works don't save us, but real faith produces real work. So he says, you were created in Christ Jesus To do what? To do good works. Notice it's in Christ Jesus. Know that God prepared these for us. He intended for us to do good things. God wants us to do good in this world. The key for us is to understand that the good that we do is the product of God working through us. So God's given you gifts. God's given you time. God's given you energy. How will you use that to bring greater glory to God in this world? Our answer to that question is important. I think about Tim Keller's conversation with one of his church members who, uh, who said, you know, as long as I thought I was saved by what I did, then I felt like a taxpayer. I could uh, say to God, hey, I have certain rights here. But the minute I realized it was all by his grace, I had to surrender all my rights. She said, in, in a way, it's kind of frightening. He said, what do you mean? She said, now God can ask anything of me because God is responsible for giving me life. That's exactly the gospel. Because we are so grateful for what God has done for us, He can ask us for anything. And what does He ask us to do? To do good works, which He prepared beforehand. God always planned for His people in this world to do good. Not just to stand on the sidelines and say, look how bad it is, but to jump in, to do something about it, to help other people. I think about uh, Janessa Wells, who who heard God's call in her life when she completed college and went over to Egypt and, and ministered to the Bedouin people in Egypt. And then, and then she decided to go to Paris and she shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with the Muslim people in Paris. And there are a lot of Muslim people in Paris. I don't know if you've read about that and heard about that, but she ministered to them. And then she went to Jordan and she ministered to the Palestinians there. And one night she was just writing a letter back home and she said, it comes down to this. We were created for the glory of God. May His glory shine through me. Two weeks later, she died in a, an accident in the pre-dawn hours, a bus accident. She lost her life. And people said, no, she wasted her life. What a waste of a young life. But I tell you, her life was not wasted 
Because she was making a difference. She was bringing glory to God. She was sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Jesus said to his disciples, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And when God's light shines through you as a city on a hill, people will look at you and say, aren't they wonderful? No, that's not what it says. They will look at you and they will give glory to your Father in heaven when they see his light shining through you so when we sing we sing for his glory and the glory of God is revealed in us as we sing to him when we do what we do whether it's a work of art or whether it's our job we're not doing it to impress the boss we're not doing it to earn the favor of God we're doing it because whatever we do in word or deed we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring him glory so unlike Rocky Unlike uh, the character Harold Abrams, unlike Madonna, instead of doing something so that we will feel fulfilled in our own rights, in our own success and accomplishments, which is an empty pursuit, at the end of the day, we're more like John Coltrane, that jazz musician who wrote A Love Supreme. Some of you are jazz aficionados, you appreciate that form of music, and And Coltrane said in 1957, a spiritual awakening occurred in my life and I felt God's presence empowering me to write music. And I said, God, would you give me the grace to make people happy with music? And God answered my prayer and I wrote this work, A Love Supreme. And then in 1965, he was sharing that music before a great audience of people. And it was just one of those nights when everything clicked. You know what it's like for everything in your life to click? One grandfather said to his grandchildren, everything in my life clicks. My knees click, my elbows click, my neck clicks. No, You know what it's like when everything comes together and Coltrane said everything clicked that night and those who were close to him on the front row heard him say when he finished A Love Supreme, to God be the glory, now dismiss your servant in peace. And the ones who knew the scripture knew what he was saying. They knew Simeon in Luke 2. Simeon and Luke 2 had been waiting his whole life to see the Messiah, and he finally saw the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he held him. And what did he say? Now dismiss your... In other words, I can die happy because I have realized the reason I was put on this earth as Coltrane felt about his music. So you and I must feel about the things that we do. And if you're wondering what God's greatest masterpiece is... You don't need to look to the mountains. You don't need to look to the ocean. You know where you need to look? Christians, you know where you need to look to see God's great work of art? Look in the mirror and see that God made you in Jesus Christ to do something good. So in God's name, do what He made you to do and God will be glorified. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you that your grace is enough for us, that your grace is sufficient, Lord. Heavenly Father, help us today. Those of us who carry thorns in our flesh today, help us to remember that your grace is enough to get us through. And Father, for those of us who've been trying to earn your love, help us to cease and desist. And for those of us who misunderstood grace and thought it meant that we would never have to do anything. Help us today, Lord, to get busy for your glory 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.